I'm World Cup champion Megan Klingenberg. Wondering who you should root for at the FIFA Women's World Cup? I'm hosting a new podcast, my new favorite Futbolista, where I will introduce you to soccer's brightest stars and the causes they are championing. From the 22-year-old American phenom speaking out about student-athlete mental health. I try to just like approach everything with like you don't know what someone's going through. To the U.S. defender who travels to tournaments with her young son. Am I ever going to be able to run for five minutes straight? Check out my new favorite Futbolista wherever you listen to podcasts. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Edit audio. Me encanta el WNBA. WNBA. <laughs> Yo, bam. This is Rebound Revolution, a not-so-basketball podcast bringing you the revolutionary on and off the court happening in the WNBA. From queer baddies to history to ones to watch, join me, Money, as we get into it all. This week, I'm joined by four-time WNBA champion and three-time Olympic gold medalist, Simone Augustus. And we talk crystals and meditation, using your voice intentionally, and her book, Hoop Muses, which everyone should go grab a copy of. We ready to risk it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's what people felt. They like, nah, them girls out there, they talking that talk and walking that walk. So that was good to be a part of. How does someone become one of the most decorated basketball players of all time and have solid political principles off the court? I think this question has always drawn me to and excited me about the Louisiana living legend, Simone Augustus. In all these different moments in my life where I wasn't necessarily figuring out identity, but trying to understand the political context and consequences around having that identity, Simone was there, visible, using her voice for change, and playing really good basketball at the same time. So back in 2011, at one of the highest points of her career, leading the Minnesota Lynx to the first championship that they won and being named finals MVP, what does Simone use that visibility to speak about? A proposed bill that would have banned same-sex marriage in Minnesota. This was years before a pride night at a WNBA game or even before federal marriage equality. At that point in my life, I had only been letting people know I was a lesbian for a few months. So seeing one of my favorite basketball players share an identity with me and advocate for LGBT rights felt so powerful. And that wasn't the last time Simone made me feel this, like, power in identity. Whether watching her dedicate a gold medal to Louisiana after the devastation of flooding in Baton Rouge taking the court in all Black with Alton Sterling's name across her chest, hearing her talk about pay inequity for Black women, or listening to her share about her experiences with fibroids, Simone Augustus has always been a public voice for issues I experienced in my life, too. And even though she was and is a living legend, she 
always talked about what needed to change in the world in such relatable, personable, girl-from-down-the-block ways. While the W may have a reputation of being an inclusive and supportive professional sports league today, I truly believe it would not be the league it is without the presence of Simone Augustus. Hey, Simone, a.k.a. Money Moan, <laughs> a.k.a. Monumental Moan, because she got a monument, if y'all don't know. <laughs> I'm, like, freaking out right now. There's, like, so many versions of myself that are so excited to be sitting here talking to you right now. <laughs> I appreciate that. I can feel the energy. I can feel the energy. Because it's probably leaping off of me. I'm just so excited right now. So thank you for being here with me on Rebound Revolution. I appreciate that. No, thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to ask you some like quick rapid fire questions. Describe your career in three words. Oh, um, like a, a beautiful. Yeah, it's like a beautiful struggle, I guess. Mm. Um, when I think about it, it has its ebbs and flows. Like, obviously, it's obstacles with injuries or mm-hmm. dealing with uh, losses early in my career. Um, to get into a beautiful stage where I experienced probably the best time in my basketball career where we had the dynasty run and I played so many great players and Mm -hmm. we did so many great and impactful things in women's basketball. So I guess it's the beautiful struggle. I like it. It's a beautiful struggle. So early pandemic, it's like 2020, 2021, you used to do these Talk To Me Tuesdays. I was tuned in because, first of all, you are hilarious. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So it just felt like getting another perspective on you, you know, like, oh, wow, like you are not only like this phenomenal player, but also like a really funny person and really into sneakers because that wall of shoes. (laughs) Oh, man. I know. Everybody's like, where you at? You in your closet? I'm like, yeah, like closet office situation. But mm-hmm. yeah, everybody loved the backdrop. Yeah. So out of all of those shoes, you have some of the most like detailed and signature shoes in the game. If you could only wear one pair, what pair would it be? Because there's so many different ways you can go about it. Like, you know, obviously my favorite sneaker is Air Jordan 5. That's the first sneaker my dad bought for me to start playing ball. Uh Um, But then if you think I got to wear this for the rest of my life, I want comfort. Mm -hmm. Mm So I'm an Air Mag 1 fan. Mm-hmm. like the silhouette, like I love that sneaker. And it's it's fairly comfortable. If I had to wear one shoe for the right, it would probably be an Admech one. So Courtney Williams was trying to explain to me that there's a difference between a sneaker that you play basketball in and a sneaker that you just wear to be cute. <laughs> it is. Can you help me? I'm not a sneaker person. So what's the difference? Like, okay, so a hoop shoe has to be comfortable. So it's Mm -hmm. whatever your preference is. So my preference as a hooper was like a light shoe. My favorite basketball shoe of all time was like the Hirachi 2K4s. Um, They came out in like early 2000s or whatever. Very light, durable shoe, easy to tie. And I also love to have a strap on top because I'm a high top person. Mm -hmm. Like I never did kind of convert over to the low top sneakers when everybody started wearing them. So the difference between that is just like you're finding something for your comfort and durability to be able to perform a game. And then your sneakers, it's just like, I'm putting on an outfit today. What look good with this outfit? Mm-hmm. As a sneakerhead myself, I don't know how everybody else choose outfits or go about their day, but I get to shoot first. 
So I pick my sneaker and then I go into my closet and find the other accessories and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that differs because I'm just walking around and, you know, enjoying my day as opposed to like running up and down the court, jumping like it has to have a different feel to it. So the outfit starts with the shoe. For me. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's a song that is on your like pregame playlist? Oh, if I was still playing right now, it would be when. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when, 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 when. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. J-Rock. It would be that one. Yeah, it be that. yeah J-Rock. Yeah, mm-hmm. J-Rock. It would be that song. If I was playing right now, that would be like my go-to right before, you know, I go out, we break huddle or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like, that song. Just because that's what it's all about. Like, mm-hmm. if I'm playing ball, you're not coming out here to lose. So I need to really psych myself out, get in the mindset of like, I'm winning. Like, yeah. no matter what, this is what we're trying to come out of here and get a W. So. Mm-hmm. You know, in retirement, I'm just, like, working out and stuff like that. So I'm like, when, when? Like, I'm trying to win the day. Like, now I'm trying to win the day. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to, like, work toward my best self, you know, in the weight room. So, yeah, that song would really get me going. Yeah. I love that song. I have a playlist called Trap Meditation, and it's on there because it's just so repetitive, you know? And so just like (laughs) that, win, 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 just again and again, and the beat. And I just love Kendrick's, mm-hmm. like, ad-libs in that song, too. So it just, mm-hmm. it feels meditative, even though it's not meditation. <laughs> exactly. That's why I try to tell people the repetitive songs when you're working out are very good beat that keep you upbeat yep. to get you through. It's just, like, the best. Yeah. But you are into meditation, right? Like, you meditate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every day. I don't miss it. How did you get into meditation? Um, Like, college just, mm-hmm. you know, differing, just trying to find different things that work with me. Like, obviously, everybody grew up with some form of religious background. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you just kind of in life journey into different things and mm-hmm. find things that resonate with you. And so meditation was kind of one of those things I drifted toward, especially when I started doing yoga. Like you end your sessions with meditation or some type of uh, sound, you know, meditation or something. So I just came up with my format, what it is that I do. So mm-hmm. I have my altar. I set it up. I do uh, affirmations. So that's a form of meditation. I do like silent meditation where I spend about five or 10 minutes with myself. And then I do uh, sound meditation, meaning using the sound bowls. And I do that for about okay. five minutes. And either, yeah, either I'm in silence or as I'm doing the sound meditation, I'm saying affirmations. It helps bring a sense of peace and calm. But also, you know, it gets you ready for your day as far as what you're about to enter. You know, you never know what the day holds. That's amazing. My friends call it woo-woo stuff. I'm like, you really into the (laughs) woo-woo. Look, you got to find something to keep you centered. Like, whatever it is, you know, know, be consistent with it. I think consistency is key. I think some people start off with something and after a few days, a week, you know, maybe even a month, then it's like, ah, well, whatever they desired results they thought it was going to be didn't, you know, come to fruition at that moment. And so they just kind of give up on it. But consistency is key in really and truly anything, any practice that you're doing. Mm -hmm. I love rocks and crystals. And I saw (laughs) one time that you had this wrapped tiger's eye. And I was like, oh, I have to ask Simone about crystals. So are crystals (laughs) a part of like your meditation practice? 
It is. You know what? That's uh, something I'm continuing to learn. So mm-hmm. I love crystals just for the sheer beauty of it, the messages behind them, the powers that they possess. Mm-hmm. But in order for you to really like hone in and really activate and be one with your crystals during meditation, it takes a lot of practice, a lot of knowledge. And so uh, Soul Rays is the lady that does a lot of my pieces. She does a lot of the wrapping of my pieces. She does Reiki and she teaches a lot of classes. So I've been in the process of learning and so yeah, uh, I'm continuing to practice that. When I tell you I love crystals, like my collection is out of control, but I, you know, it's my thing. It's like, I'm really into, yeah, like the look of them, but also like the meanings behind them and trying to learn about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So. It's funny because, you know, not a lot of people understand it. And I have friends like that. And they joke about it all the time. Like, you up in there playing with them rocks? Yes. (laughs) I'm like, yes, (laughs) yes. And it's funny when they start going through some or experiencing something like, you got a rock for them? Like, oh, no, no, not my little rocks. You know, don't worry about it. But of course, you know, if they want it, you have to, you know, gift it. I feel like that's a part of your journey is to, like, introduce people to stuff new. So. I always do. I think probably all my friends, the crystals that they have, I probably gave them most of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. You want some help? You having trouble sleeping? Let me slide this amethyst. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So speaking of other things that we have connections to, I think it was like Devereaux who was tweeting about riding your horses. Oh, my God. (laughs) But like, you have a farm? How many animals do you have? I don't have as many as people think. Right now, I only have two horses and a donkey. But... You know, as the time go on, we'll have chickens and all this stuff. But we're in the process mm-hmm. of setting all that stuff up. But at the time when Devro came, my horses, I had just recently broke them in. So you could still ride them and stuff like that. So she was trying to build up the nerve to ride the horse. Mm-hmm. But we have one in particular that's still kind of like titter-tatter that line of trying it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I don't know if you want to do it. So I think the day that she came out there, that particular horse started acting a fool. She was like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Mm-hmm. But um, mostly now, they're just like show horses. They just kind of graze the land and mm-hmm. we just let them be. Did you grow up with horses? Or was that like something that you were like, soon as I get the space, I'm going to get a horse? No, I did not grow up with horses. I grew up in the city, like Mm -hmm. the Baton Rouge. I grew up in the city part of Baton Rouge. But I tell you what, like manifestation is real. Mm -hmm. So my dad would always talk about having some land and having this and that. At the time, you can't see it. Like I'm living in the city. I'm, you know, in the hood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what are you talking about? Some horses? What are you talking about? Some land? But you don't know where life is going to take you. And so, you know, thankfully, I was gifted with the gift of basketball and being able to do so many amazing things that it led me to an opportunity to, you know, generate the money that I needed. And literally that particular piece of property just came out of nowhere. And he had been talking about this from, I don't know, elementary, middle school days Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. until the day that we purchased that property. And I was just like, wow, he manifested that because I didn't see no way, no how, like we would be, you know, living on land and have horses and stuff. That's beautiful. I'm just thinking about, like, for Black folks in America and then for, like, Southern Black folks to be doing this intergenerational manifestation, like, having a space to call your own, having space for horses, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah. I feel like something kind of related to that, like, legacy is you having that monument at LSU, 
you know, I went to Auburn, so hey, Auburn. War now Eagles. you know what I love. I love our yeah, no War Eagles. Oh my God! Well, now I got bad respect for Auburn. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> that face said otherwise, but I get it because when LSU and Auburn play each other, it's not cute. No, you know, obviously I'm biased, but I think the SEC has like some of the best athletes. At the collegiate level. All right, we can agree on that. We can agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> but yeah, these schools used to be segregated. Like, not even an entire generation before you were there. You know, like, I'm thinking, like, mm-hmm. the 70s. So this is, like, very recent history. Mm-hmm. I know, like, Black people weren't even allowed to go to the arena, you know? like, And if they were at the arena, they had to sit way, way up. Um, and so it means something that your jersey is hanging in there, retired. That you have a monument on that campus. Yeah, I'm still like processing the impact of it. Like Mm -hmm. it's still happening now. People will send me pictures on Instagram. Like I went to the statue, like when they had the uh, Kim Mulkey basketball camp, all the little girls was going to go and take a picture with the statue. But to your point, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, our people weren't even able to grace these campuses. And yet here I am as the first female, but black female to have a statue on a predominantly white campus. It says a lot because I had those conversations with my great grandparents, my grandparents Mm -hmm. and many of their friends about, you know, their struggles and the things that they had to face. But a lot of them persevered through it. A lot of them, you know, went through hell Mm -hmm. just so that I can take a foot on this campus to sit in these classrooms. And so, I never take my talent for granted. I never take my position or my placement in life for granted. And to be able to be in that position to not just go to this university, but graduate and then also do as well as I did to the point that they honored me with a statue. Mm -hmm. That says a lot about, you know, the village that raised me, but also where we are as a people. Like that was just sheer perseverance on their behalf. And then I carried the torch through my generation and now that monument being there is going to hopefully spark the next generation of not just black athletes or black people to go on and be great but all people you know because that's ultimately what it's about like we're trying to gather all people together to kind of prosper and grow so Mm -hmm. I was just so happy and filled with joy to see that and I just remember going to the corner store the day after the statue and I seen a black brother he was outside the store whatever and he was like I love you. He was like, don't let nobody tell you nothing different. I love you. And it just felt different. It it was like a sense of pride. Like he just was walking around smiling like black people were so damn happy. Mm -hmm. And I was happy that I could see my people like genuinely happy about something great, you know, because we see so much tragedy and mm-hmm. destruction and stuff like that. It was just a, a good feeling to see us just happy for once. So, and I'm glad that I was able to to provide that, you know? I'm even thinking about like that moment after the championship game where Angel Reese is Man. like hugging you, like, this is for you. This is for you. I'm like, yeah, you, in real time, you are inspiring like a whole new generation of basketball players, but also just, like, women who dare to do anything, you know? <laughs> like, 
like, like just looking yeah. at you like, we can do this. Like, look, this is history. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what it's about. Like, I know, you know, as people see it, they think in basketball or whatever. But ultimately, we trying to empower all women yeah. in whatever positions. Like, you know, as I'm venturing off into coaching, we sit in a lot of seminars and a lot of the women are just like, they need that little oomph like mm-hmm. they need to hear those words they need to see it like really seeing it in order to be it is a thing mm-hmm. like they don't have a lot of representation in many different career paths for black women so they don't see themselves in a position of power so they don't feel powerful but ain't no way you ain't gonna feel powerful <laughs> about a statue or yes, seeing it and yes. knowing that that's possible you know in your career path maybe you don't get a statue but that doesn't mean you can't climb the ladder mm-hmm. can't climb the charts and do amazing things and sit up there and, and be a representation for all women to be able to achieve that too so for me that's what it's all about like i know how hard it is for black women or all women but we have a lot to offer yeah and we should never shy away from putting that out into the world you know Speaking of, like, putting that out into the world, you have been putting it out into the world since you were a kid. Like, making the cover of Sports Illustrated in, what, ninth grade? Yeah, ninth grade. You know, being compared to Michael Jordan in ninth grade, Olympic gold medalist, doing all kind of incredible things in college. Like, how have you kind of, like, maintained, I don't know, a sense of, like, accomplishment through all of these Things that might create a lot of pressure for you as a really young person. Yeah, a lot of pressure. I I mean, the Sports Illustrated book definitely created that. It was funny how that came about. Like, I didn't even know that it was out. Like, a teammate went to the Walgreens and kind of walked down the magazine aisle and spotted it and just bought the whole, like, rack (laughs) and brought it back to the hotel. And it was like, oh, snap. And so, obviously, it circulated noise, da-da-da. And from that day forward, it was just like... People's like, that's that girl that's on the magazine. Mm-hmm. And so I always had to stay one step ahead of everybody else because now they're gunning for you. Like, yeah. they want to be able to say they took you down. Yeah. Like, I beat her. And so it was a good thing. You know, it might be something that I needed. You know, everybody's journey and path is unique. And so maybe if I didn't get that, would I have pushed as hard? Would I have made it as far? So it, it basically it set me up to never like want to have experienced failure or loss or whatever it is. Even though I still experienced it, it's just like, well, I know I worked my butt off to try to win so I could deal with the loss or a lesson. Yeah. So now I'm learning and I'm growing and the crowds are getting bigger and people are getting louder yeah. and noises get the crowd noise is getting there and people are really trying to knock you off your block. It's like how mentally tough are you? How physically tough are you to deal with this night in and night out? Like, okay, well, I accomplished this. Can I accomplish the next thing? Mm-hmm. So that's how my mind works. And I know it's hard for a lot of people to just think about what's next or even accomplishing the first thing. But once you do, you just should be hungry for more. And having that bullseye or that pressure on my back just made me want to, one, prove people wrong. It made me hungry for more. And just I wanted to see what could be if I really put my all into my gift, you know? Yeah. Do you have a favorite moment that stands out of like, yeah, I really put my all into this and that felt like an accomplishment, like the peak? The toughest probably situation I've had to deal with is like coming back from injury. So what I tore my ACL in 09. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make that journey back 2010. We had a yeah, like, okay, bad season. But it was in that moment, it was just like, 
your career is up in the balance. Like, who are you going to become? Most people, when you come after injuries, they aren't really themselves. They never really quite play like themselves or, you know, whatever. And that was like the turning point for me. I had a good friend of mine, uh, Donika Lewis. I just remember like crying and going through all these emotions. And she was just like, look, what is it to have to prove yourself one more time? Like you've done it your whole mm-hmm. life. You've been doing it. And I was just like, I'm tired of proving myself. <laughs> At a certain That's point, real. you feel like you've established yourself enough that you don't have to prove like, you know what I can do. Yes. But yeah. it was another one of those situations where what is it to have to do it one more time? Mm-hmm. And so I really like put my head down. I remember during that time, I was like running every day, like two, three miles. I'm like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get myself together. I'm going to prove everybody wrong. And then the next year was the year that we won our first championship mm-hmm. in um, organization history with the Lynx. And it was an amazing run. And I was probably in the best shape of my life. I felt the best. Everything just like fell in place. It was like easy breezy. And so I would say that was just having to work myself through some hardships mm-hmm. to get to that was probably the best moment yeah. of my career. Like one of the best moments. Wow. To go from injury to championship. That's a run. <laughs> yeah. First of all, starting basketball so young, being successful mm-hmm. so young, does that impact the way you like coach or work with youth now? Yeah, <laughs> you it do. It impacts you because, you know, as a coach, I wanted more for them than they probably wanted for themselves. Mm-hmm. And you have to learn how to like titter tatter that back a little bit. Like they got to want it too. Like they got to meet you halfway. And it's a bit of a journey. Like I know when I first started, like you don't know, like I, I never coached before. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what coaching is. And it's just like, I'm not a very outspoken person. And so even articulating information could create an insecurity with me. Like, can I tell her how to do this the proper way? Will she do it? Will she listen? Mm -hmm. Like, do I have a connection with these players? Will they, you know, really receive me as a person or as a, as a player? And then you got to connect to them as human beings. Like they're athletes, but they're also, they have the same stuff. Some of them are mothers. Some of them are, you know, older siblings. Mm -hmm. They may be the only child. Like they have their own stuff going on in that day. So you also have to be compassionate and caring in those aspects too. So it's a, it's a juggling act, but it's one that I've obviously accepted the challenge on trying to be a part of. And honestly, I'm just getting started. So I just can't wait for the journey ahead. Well, I can say like from the outside, just as a fan, Watching you transition from, like, you know, legendary player to coach, it seems like you have effortlessly, like, built that connection with players. Whether it's, like, other players posting about you on Instagram or I caught a few Athletes Unlimited games where you were uh, facilitating, it just seems like they all really, like, are really connected to you and, like, hanging on to what you have to say about the game, what comes next. Well, see, you see something different than I see. So, like, you from the outside looking in. Well, you in there, you like, do you get it? Do you hear what I'm saying? (laughs) You in the huddle and you join stuff up. You're like, all right, you got, you heard me? Mm -hmm. You know, but I guess you're right. Like, a lot of them, a day didn't go by at AU where somebody didn't come over, speak, Mm -hmm. make conversation, ask questions, do certain things. So, I'm like, okay, yeah. 
I can kind of understand what a lot of people see from the outside. It's like, yeah. no, them girls come over there. They want to hear what you got to say. Like, yes. they're paying attention. They doing what you tell them to do. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, heart pounding. Like, I just want them to go out there and do good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> they go out there and do what you say do. Sometimes they don't. <laughs> and you have to live with it. But, you know, it's good to know that they do, you know, respect me enough. Mm-hmm. They see me in a different light that they you know, feel like they can come and get whatever it is that they need from me. Yeah. We heard you loud and clear. You love the WNBA and want more analysis and insight on your favorite players. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoops. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All season long, we'll be bringing you the post-game analysis that you crave and sitting down for interviews with athletes across the W. You can listen to Queens of the Court on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Just to go back a little bit, you talked about, like, the community you grew up in and, like, folks who people would never know helped you become the person you are today. Can you talk a little bit about some of those people? I know. I mean, the obvious people, my parents or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when I speak on people that you would never know, like I said in my speech, I'm like, I went to courts. I went to places that people would dare not go to. Like me and my dad hop on the bike or hop in the car and we would just be like, oh, we heard a game going on over here uptown and we'll head over there. And you never know. Like that's the whole beauty of like honing in on your craft. Like when I fell in love with ball, I didn't want to put it down. I'm just like, I want to learn something new. I want to do something new. Da, 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 da. And so going to these different courts and these different gyms and playing against different people really helped me understand like hell, just here in Louisiana, you can go downtown basketball. It's different. You can go uptown basketball. You can go to east side, west side. And then when you get outside of Louisiana, you go to Texas and Georgia and all these places. Basketball is totally different, like how they play it, how they see it, everything. Mm-hmm. And so I always enjoyed that. And I would say it was a lot of people within my community that I played against that, like I said, you would never know. These are just people that came down the street, who went home, mm-hmm. went to work every day, that I learned how to talk trash from. I learned how to do an in and out move from. I learned how to shoot a three ball. I learned how to, you know, be tough. Like, they yeah. knocked me down. Like, I had just as many strawberries on my knees as they had. You yeah. know what I mean? I learned how to, like, use my mental. If I wasn't as strong and jumped as high as the dude that I was defending, and I learned how to shot fake. I learned mm-hmm. how to do all these different things. And learning that helped me become more instinctual on the court. It helped me read things and see things a little bit differently because of all the different people that I played against. And a lot of them, we ended up journeying through the recreational facilities together. Mm-hmm. Like once we got our little click, it's like, oh, we we meeting up over here. And so yeah. you take your little click to other areas and play ball. And so that's what I'm truly thankful for, that my community meaning it's Gushong, we call it Parktown. Mm-hmm. Parktown is like the place that really honed in my skills and really helped me become the player that I've become. I'm a representation of them, basically. I 
love that. Shout out to Park Town. <laughs> you a trash talker? A little. Okay. A little. If you ask my teammates, they used to say I was, uh, oh, what was the movie? The little sing-along movie? Uh, oh, I can't think of it. But it's a girl that kind of whispers. Wait, oh my God. Our producer, Mick, just put in the chat, Pitch Perfect. Are you yes. talking about Pitch Perfect? Yes. <laughs> yes. I talk really low. So when I talk <laughs> trash, you have to like be near in order to hear it. And my teammates <laughs> will either hear it or they don't. And uh. they'll be like, moan over there whispering. Like, moan over there whispering. But I was never a like... Rah, 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 rah. Mm-hmm. Every now and then I'll say and one, yeah. but I found that talking all that trash got me tired. Like trying to figure out what to say in the yeah. moment and all this, you yeah. using all that breath. I need that to go back down the other <laughs> way, play some defense. Like <laughs> I don't have time for that. Yeah, I think Ariel Atkins from the Mystics. I think she said that too because they're like, "You so silent on the court." She's like, "I need my breath to get back down the court." <laughs> Man, I did it. I tried it one game. It was like a big game, rivalry game. And I'm Mm. like, I'm hype, you know, from the jump. (laughs) And we go on a run. I'm like, ah. And went to the bench and was like, Woo! That took everything out of me. And I felt like I couldn't recover. I mean, I'm drinking Pedialyte, Gatorade, all the electrolytes, all this stuff, trying to get myself back together and just felt like I never recovered. I was like, from that day forward, I'm not doing none of that. I'm just going to stay the course. Well, a place that you have used your voice a lot is activism. And I think this has actually made you one of the most recognizable faces in women's basketball. It's like how much... You have been involved. It feels like in like every movement of the time, you've done something or said something on the issue, whether it's from marriage equality to Black Lives Matter, like you just got something to say. <laughs> and I've really admired that about you. But I also know that the the league has not always looked the way it looks now when it comes to like support of social justice movements. So can you talk a little bit about how you've seen the W evolve from when, you know, back when y'all was getting fined for wearing T-shirts to now? (laughs) This face. Y'all can't see the face. (laughs) Yeah. You know, from what was that, 15, 16, when we started with the uh, Philando Castile and and Alton Sterling uh, situation? You know, that was near and dear to us, and it, it was amazing because coach reed was actually one of the people that pulled the team together to be like yo what's what's going on in the world let's have these discussions let's have these talks and we did and we came to a conclusion like we wanted to do something we wanted to say something and i think you know up until that point you can fact check me but i don't think no w player or anybody really stood up or said Mm -hmm. anything or fought for anything like we was just always like don't say nothing like, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to get fine, won't get no trouble. Yep. Like, so we just kind of never jumped into the fire. But for me, that hit home for me. Alton Sterling, like that store that he was killed at, I went to that store every day as a kid. Mm. Like, to go get candy, go get pop. Like, I knew the little lady that worked there. You know, she used to sneak me some candy. And my mom was like, I know you're not stealing. I'm like, no, she gave it to me. (laughs) And we formed a relationship. Like, so anytime I go in there, she'd sneak me some candy. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, so to hear that, that hit home because that could have been anybody, any relative or classmate, anybody in the community that we know, like it's a small community, you know. And so um, to be able to stand up there and then also hear other people's experiences, like Bronson spoke about her experience in D.C., playing in the alley and having guns pulled on her by officers and, you know, so on and so forth. And it gave some of our white teammates an opportunity to be like, oh, like they was empathetic to what we were going through. Like we didn't know because their experience was different. Mm -hmm. But then they sitting here and they looking at us and they're like, we are with you all. And that meant a lot to us because this is where the big divide happens. And they stood their ground with us Mm -hmm. and they was like, no, we in this together. Like I go to work with you every day. I'm in the trenches with you. I battle with you every day. And I'm a battle with you right now. And so to see them actually, you know, be active and stand up and show their allyship to us Mm -hmm. was amazing. Obviously we dealt with difficulties. We were getting fined by the league. Mm-hmm. The officers that were supposed to be working the game walked yeah, off, walked out, yeah. left the target center exposed, so on and so forth. But look at the beautiful thing that happened. We had an all-female staff mm-hmm. that said, we'll protect them. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, I think that's what we've always have, you know, up in the target center protecting us. And from there, everybody around the league, they was like, oh, Minnesota doing it? Yep. I want to do something. Yep. We're going to do something. We're going to do something. Mm-hmm. We're not mm-hmm. going to stand. And we're going to wear us a shirt. And we're going to do this. <laughs> Because we never knew we can use our voice. Mm-hmm. So everybody like, well, hell, I got something to say and I'm mm-hmm. fighting for something and and I want to do this. And I'm like, this is beautiful. Yeah. This is stuff that we didn't know about people, whether you was fighting for social justice or breast health awareness yes. or, you know, whatever everything. it is that aligned with you, everything. People yep. are like, nah, I need to tell y'all this. Like mm-hmm. my family going through this and I went through that. And, yep. I, and I'm like, all right, now we get to know you beyond just a basketball player. Yep. Like now I can resonate with you as a person. Mm-hmm. And that can carried on all the way to the bubble season, which I believe in the history of the W was probably our most impactful season mm-hmm. because that was hard to go in that bubble yeah. and say you was going to work for X amount of months just in a little confined space mm-hmm. with just us and do that. But being a part of a Senate race and having to stand up for all the many things that we did, like to be able to have all 144 girls plus staff and everybody there and all aligned and on the same page, that has never happened. The only time you really get people together is all-star break. Mm-hmm. But that's just the all-stars and the people yeah. that's participating in that particular you know, situation. This was everybody. So everybody could get it all out. And now we can formulate and organize. That was the one time when I feel like the W is players and all of us were on the same page. And it was so impactful. It, we had the most viewership. We had the most support. We helped Reverend Warnock get into the office. We mm-hmm. got my girl from Atlanta. We got her out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. We was doing some things. Like, yeah. We were shaking and moving. Yeah. And it was just so beautiful to see and it was so beautiful to be a part of because it's like finally like whoo now we can really show who we are yeah and so many people resonated with our inclusivity our diversity as a league yes. that they was like I mess with them and they speaking up like we've seen our brother teams and brother leagues that kind of speak up but not really we ready to risk it all yeah yeah <laughs> And that's what people felt. They like, nah, them girls out there, they talking that talk and mm-hmm. walking that walk. So that was good to be a part of. Yeah. And definitely there was something in the water in Minnesota. Cause I feel like y'all were the first professional athletes, period, that I saw 
like saying anything about what was happening in the world. And fast forward, not even 10 years later, it feels like there's a whole different culture in the W. I definitely credit y'all, the Minnesota Lynx, like as starting that. But I think about you specifically as like, again, always having something to say when it comes to justice. Where does that come from? Like, well, I mean, obviously you're from Louisiana, so like, yeah, yeah. Was it just like being raised with that very close history of struggles for justice? Yeah, we we not short on words down here. <laughs> I don't care who you are, what race. Like, mm-hmm. we not short on words, and that means a lot because now I know who you are. I know where you stand, and I can navigate and maneuver the way I need to in order to protect myself or, you know, put myself in a better position. Um, and a lot of that comes from my parents. Mm-hmm. I have my parents the most outspoken people. Like, if you meet anyone that knows my parents, they're like, hey, we love them, but they're going to tell, <laughs> tell you what's on their mind. And then, like myself, they're not the most talkative people, but when they talk, it means something. That's why it's like, I don't talk a lot. I just kind of observe. Like, I when I say something, I'm going to mean it. And I mean what I say, you know? And what I thought about was like, we don't have the luxury of the guys. We don't live in gated communities and make hundreds of millions of dollars. We are active citizens, just like everybody else. Right. I get up. I got to go to the grocery store. I don't have security with me. Yeah, you know, period. I go yeah. to the grocery store. I got to go shopping. Mm-hmm. I got to move around. And people may or may not notice who you are. And that goes for anybody, not just normal people, but law enforcement, whatever. I'm just a normal citizen to them. Yeah. And so when you see an injustices, that could have been me. Yeah, (laughs) that could have been, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. other people are so detached because they don't have to deal with those worries or stresses of the world. But we still do. Yeah. And I'm happy to Mm -hmm. be a part of the world. Like I'm happy to still be able to (laughs) be a part of the people Mm -hmm. and not have to alienate myself, you know, because of my status in life. But that connection and still being that close really resonates with us because we always think it could be any one of us that had experienced that at any given day. You just saying that feel like it put a light bulb on in my head that because of the pay inequity and just like the difference of being like a woman athlete or like a person who's not a man and an athlete, like y'all are connected differently to the struggles of the world. And so, yeah, you are in public spaces with regular, regular people. Often we get stopped by the police just like anybody else. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we go to the grocery store. Our car might not swipe just like yeah. anybody else. We might, you know, that's how we view it. And so that's why being at the forefront of this is just like you getting out there marching where you at. Like, it's like, all right, we got to get in these streets because yeah. I live here. Yeah. <laughs> I work here. We don't have those luxuries. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you said you was at the corner store the day after your statue. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Look. Where you want me to go? They don't have a uh, 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 retirement home for people with statues. Like, I still, <laughs> you know, I still got to go out here. I got to eat. I got to, you know, maneuver. You still got to get your snacks. I still got to get my snacks. And when I'm at home, you know, Louisiana, I definitely got to eat as good as I can. No other mm-hmm. food in the world. Don't nobody tell me nothing. Nobody has better food than Louisiana. <laughs> so this is the one time I'm like, all right, I'm going to step outside of my diet. I got to eat. get to my my dishes that mm-hmm. I know I want to eat when I'm at home. Mm-hmm. And um, certain places, I just got to make that little run. Yeah. And the corner stores, where is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the corner stores. I have to ask you about Hoop Muses. 
as soon as I saw you post about it on Instagram, I went and pre-ordered it, got my copy. But that book starts in the future. So what do you hope for the WNBA in 2072, <laughs> like 50 years from now? Yeah. That was the whole point. It's just like the notoriety. We got the fame. We got the money. We we at where the men is at right now. Mm-hmm. Or we're getting close to there. We're at our level of yeah. that. That's where I see it. And it's it's happening. It's happening slowly but surely. You can see as we're starting to gain more viewership on bigger networks and stuff like that. People like really watching NCAA women's tournament definitely catapulted eyes to the WNBA. Like people like, all right, these girls about to go to W. Let me see what they're doing on that side. Mm -hmm. So you can see it kind of trending in that direction. Obviously we need more partnerships. We just need more. Yeah. But as long as we not in that old conversation that I had to hear for a very long time, like we ain't got no money. The league might fold. Like we heard that way too long. And I'm just like, what business, you know, is going to talk about the money they're not making. And what business you know is not going to start trying to figure out how to get money into their business or Mm -hmm. sell their product. Like, at some point, you got to turn that corner. And I think the product is starting to sell itself. By, you know, where the league may be, I think the players, their brands, Mm -hmm. their visibility on the social media is creating more eyes, even if at this point we aren't getting the television deals and all this stuff that we would hope for that'll put us in in different spaces. But as these girls continue to just level up on their branding and those spaces, it's going to bring all the attention, the money and everything that we would hope for. We just have to be prepared for and ready to, you know, take it to the next level. I agree. I feel like the W is like a grassroots movement, kind of. Because, like, mm-hmm. the visibility of y'all, even outside of the games, right? So, like, whether it is the social justice initiatives or it's the social media, you know? Like, being mm-hmm. able to see how funny and how fast some of the players are on Twitter. You know, the Instagram personalities and followings people have cultivated for themselves that feeds into people wanting to see what you have going on. And I think the fan base is just growing so fast because of that. Yeah, of course. And, you know, it's hard for us to open up. We've been so closed up. We've been private. You know, players haven't really put themselves out there a whole lot. And for various reasons, you know, some people are just private and we never had access to being able to put ourselves out there a little bit more. So social media kind of really helped people to see another side of the athletes and who we are and all that. And so they and they gravitate to you even more. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't get a chance to do that during my dynasty run because yeah. social media, like, Instagram, all that had just kind of started. So you really wasn't on there mm-hmm. like that. But now we done settled in. We know what it's about. We know what it offers. And people are taking full advantage of it. And mm-hmm. it's really just going to help us. Yes. I think only up from here. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. like, thinking more about the future, I know you're a big advocate for the youth and are, like, directly impacting, like, future generations of basketball. Are there any young players that you really are looking at right now? Like, y'all should keep an eye on her. I really like Diamond Miller in Minnesota, obviously. Mm -hmm. I love Cook in L.A., Zaya Cook. Yeah. Yeah, good young player. You know, I got to do my shameless plug of Indiana, because... Indiana, oh, Indiana, Indiana yes. yeah, boom. Aaliyah Boston, obviously, I can't wait to see her development, her growth over Same. time. Yeah, Nalissa Smith, like I know she's not young, but yeah, 
She has such an upside to her game. I love watching Alyssa Smith play. Yes, I'm like, she kind of reminds me of myself. Like, you know, at AU, she dropped a 50 ball on us the last game. And I was getting on her the whole time, like the the times that I had her throughout the uh, five weeks or whatever. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. come on, Liz, you got to go harder. You got to go harder. But her speed looks as if she's going slow or lethargic, mm-hmm. but I'm like, you know what? I can't get on you about that because that's what I used to get, mm-hmm. like, kind of like my con to my game was like, oh, it just kind of looked like she going like a walk in the park, not really going hard. And I'm like, nah, I'm going hard as hell. Yeah, yeah. But it just looks so effortless. <laughs> effortless and that's kind of yeah. how this is. She just is so effortless. I'm like, man, when her game explodes, yeah. it's going to be crazy. I don't think people really paying attention and watching out for what she got. So I'm really curious if, like, for a first-timer who knows nothing about the WNBA, nothing about women's basketball, what's one thing you think they should know about the league? First of all, we're going to go get that book. We're going to go get Hoop Muses. That's going to get you started. (laughs) Okay. Let me drop that real quick. That's going to get you started. (laughs) But it's just like dive in. It's not no one particular thing I can can tell you to do other than buy League Pass. It's $25. I tell people that all the time. Like, you spend $20 on this. Come on now. And it'll introduce you to the league. At that moment, you get to pick and choose who you fall in love with as a player, as a team, or whatever. And from there, I think... It's an easy fusion. Most people that have engaged with me have come to the game and I've given them tickets. They come and they stay in like, oh, my God, I didn't know. Like the games are lit. The experience is tailored to all kinds of people. It's not just Mm -hmm. corporate or whatever it is that you may experience elsewhere. Like it really feel like a um, backyard barbecue. That's the vibes. Yes. The DJs. The DJs bring the vibe. And the players kind of keep it going. The fans do an awesome job. And they're very engaged. Our fans in the game, they talking crap. They talking to the ref. They get it in. Like, they like, we trying to win. Like, and we love that. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what helps elevate the game, the environment. You know, the people that's in there, whether you're with us or against us, is helping us to become or be, you know, better in our spaces. Yeah. So thank you so much for your time. I'm like just really excited to have you on here. I feel like this was a dream. Just let folks know where they can find you. Instagram, uh, at MoniMon33. Twitter, I think it's at Simone Augustus. And I just started TikTok, but I don't really have nothing on there. But y'all can still come follow me. I'm going to start posting soon. I think it's just at Coach Money. You know you're the best when your nickname is Money, so. (laughs) You hear me? You hear me? Thanks, Simone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And... Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. 
a performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Want to sound like you in the know when it comes to the W? I got you. This is Fundamentals where I'll give you a rundown of something to make you look like you're the expert in the room. This week's Fundamentals is all about text. This season has been spicy. I've seen more scuffles and shoves than I have in a while, resulting in some of my favorite players getting teed up. That's right, a technical foul. Most commonly referred to as a tech, A technical foul is different than a normal flow of basketball foul. Basketball is a contact sport, and while playing, limbs and hands are expected to bump into a few noses here or there. (laughs) Cough, cough, Liz Cambage. If you know, you know. That interview was wild. (laughs) But a technical foul is contact or cussing that goes beyond what is to be expected in the normal course of a basketball move. There are some more, like, boring, less spicy ways to get a tech, but that's not usually why people get texts, so we just gonna talk about the spicy reasons. (laughs) For example, any contact with a referee or an official is a tech. I guess maybe with the exception of, like, if you fall into them after a clumsy shot. (laughs) In usual gameplay, you would not need to come into physical contact with the official, so it's a tech. Coaches and bench players can also get texts. That's right. It's also different from a regular foul because you don't actually have to be playing to get one. Only five players from each team are allowed on the court at a time. So if anyone leaves the bench, even for a good reason, like holding their teammate back from a fight, they'll likely get a tech. Same for coaches. If you're on the court and you're not supposed to be, that's a tech. Fighting, and even over-the-top trash talk can get you a tech. Late this season, WNBA history was made in a heated game between the Atlanta Dream and Dallas Wings, with 10 technical fouls being issued, the most in regular season game history. The penalty for a tech is the opposing team gets to shoot free throws with no one on the court, and they get possession of the ball after. Sometimes, depending on the determination, fines may also be given for texts. So the next time you see an unnecessary elbow or overhear some wild trash talk, you can say, that's a tech, ref. Have you been watching games and feel a little confused by something you saw? Let us know and I'll do a fundamentals to cover anything you want to learn about. There are a 
lot of dope players in the W. But not everyone gets their flowers. And I want to make sure they do. So I'm going to shout out a player who everyone should know in a little segment called (laughs) Money's MVP. This week, my MVP is Alyssa Thomas. So I love Alyssa Thomas, but this MVP segment was actually suggested and inspired by a listener letter. So Nancy wrote in and suggested that the engine herself, Alyssa Thomas, be the MVP. Thank you so much, Nancy, because, you know, we love some Alyssa Thomas over here. So let me tell you a few reasons why you too should love Alyssa Thomas. So Alyssa is known for triple doubles. Now, y'all remember when I broke down what a double-double was? And if you don't, you can go check that out in the Sound On at the Sports Bra episode. But a triple-double is basically a double-double to the next level. It's when you achieve double-digit totals in three out of the five major stats categories in basketball, right? So that's assists, points, Blocks, steals, rebounds, those things, right? So if you have double-digit totals in three out of those five categories, that's a triple-double. Very hard to achieve. (laughs) And Alyssa Thomas holds the record and actually broke her own record this season for most triple-doubles in WNBA history. She's followed by Candace Parker, the legend, who has three, and Sabrina Ionescu, who has three. So she more than doubles the person who comes next after her in this record. (laughs) So that tells you how much Alyssa be working on the court, okay? (laughs) Her current team is the Connecticut Sun, and this is actually the team that drafted her out of Maryland in 2014. She's been with the Connecticut Sun for 10 seasons and also plays overseas in her off seasons. A unique thing you should know about Alyssa is if you've ever seen her shoot, her shoulders are gone but not forgotten. <laughs> She's had a lot of injuries in not one but both of her shoulders. And instead of calling it a wrap on her career, she developed this one-hand push shot, which is so cool to see, like, because she shoots really uniquely, like nobody else shoots like her. But she can also do it with both hands. She's an ambidextrous shooter, (laughs) y'all. And why I think Alyssa deserves her flowers is that a lot of times when you're on a really good team, like the Connecticut Sun, it's really easy to get overlooked when the whole roster is full of superstars, right? But Alyssa is out here playing through injury, breaking her own league records, and doesn't get a lot of shine for that. Okay, so we just want to applaud Alyssa over here and let you know the engine, we see you. And that's why you're the MVP this week. Rebound Revolution is an edit audio original podcast created in collaboration with The Cube. I'm your host, Money McEachern. And this episode was produced by Melissa Houghton, Mick Finnegan, and me. It was edited, mixed, and mastered by Mick Finnegan. Our supervising producer is Anna Deshawn. 
Our executive producer is Steph Colburn. Thank you to Kathleen Speckert and the whole Edit Audio team.